Hey there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five tenets of journalism, who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You're listening to episode 15, where we chat with Jen. Stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. All right, so Jen, who are you? Who am I? Um, I am a cisgendered white woman. Do you want to say anything else about how you identify? No, uh, I don't need to. No? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So what uh, initially drew you to polyamory? Well, I think that there's a lot of freedom with having a lifestyle that you don't have to have all your relationships be what have been pre uh, prescribed for um, uh, people in society so I can um, make my friendships however I want and I can make my uh, other intimate relationships however I want. So I guess it's, it's mostly a matter of freedom and being my whole authentic self. So what does polyamory mean to you? Polyamory, um, I guess, means being open to having many intimate, caring relationships with people and defining those for yourself. What have you found um, difficult about polyamory? And I guess also, how long have you been poly or identified that way? Oh, how long have I been? So, in a lot of ways, I've kind of uh, seen it as a, a natural way that I am. So, I've basically probably always thought of myself as open to that idea not that I had those uh, words Um, I did start dating my husband monogamously and we stayed monogamous for a long time and I think that partly it felt like that was what he wanted or what felt normal what felt natural but also we had like a really strong connection and we were kind of into each other and we were into our other lives such that um uh it just felt like a big undertaking to ask ask for an open relationship mm-hmm. so what do you find difficult about what do i find difficult so i would say that uh polyamory and having an open relationship is my idea so the difficult part is asking my husband for difficult things um so it's he's he's really he backs my goals really hard and he's always got my best interests in mind and so he does like to give me what I want and this is I think a difficult thing for him to like be super stoked about and (laughs) You know, just dealing with the emotions of, like, letting other people in and and that stuff. So I don't want to ever hurt him. So when it's difficult, I just um, feel like, oh, oh, my God, am I hurting this person that I love? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's mm-hmm. the hardest part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when did you feel different from other people? Or do you? Or do I? I mean, that's a loaded question. When did I feel different? Maybe I don't feel that different. Mm-hmm. But um, I suppose I was predisposed to being different just by growing up uh, in a community and not in a single family household, I was automatically different. And I already had different points of view um, that I got from the community. Uh, so uh, that was an uh, like automatic. I think I, I take on a lot of those points of view and I embody a lot of the points of view. So I do feel like it is who I am. Where would you say that you are on your poly journey? My poly journey? Um, Well, so the idea of of having open relationships and and defining your relationships how you you want has been something I've known and seen my whole life. In terms of my husband and I recently... (laughs) Uh, opened our relationship, although we'd been talking about it for a long time and kind of tried it once, but we basically opened it about a year ago. So that, in that way, I'm very early. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 
where do you hope to go in your poly journey? Where I hope to go. Um, well, I just, I'm kind of, I, I don't really look that far down in the future, just in general in my life. So I'm just taking it as it comes and I want more fun and intimacy and sensuality and just fun relationships and being able to be authentic and being able to like express, uh, uh, affection and love and just. I guess that's, yeah. Yeah. So why would you say that you are Polly? (laughs) (laughs) It's a trick question. Is there a reason that you're Polly? Is there a reason I'm Polly? No, I don't know. (laughs) There's not a right answer to these questions. Is there a reason I'm Polly? Because it sounds like more fun than not being (laughs) Polly. Okay, yeah, that's the reason. This... Uh, why did you agree to uh, be interviewed today? Good question. So, um, I, Lindsay, I heard your podcast uh, where you interviewed yourself, and you talked about how you wanted to live in a community or in a communal living situation, uh, but you expressed some doubts that that was, would be attainable. And um, so I messaged you that uh your goal is definitely attainable uh and i know that because i grew up in a a intentional living community that has been together for 50 years um and people are really happy so um and they teach courses luckily for people (laughs) so you can go and learn how they do it you know what works for them and take take from that whatever you think would work for you so I wanted to just let you know that, and I showed you their website. So, mm-hmm. um, And then after that, you asked me, and then, <laughs> and then I had to think about it a little bit. Um, but I, I decided to say yes, mostly because um, as I've uh, entered the poly community and the, started to enter the dialogue, or at least listen to the dialogue in within the poly community through, you know, reading books and poly weekly podcast. Um, I feel that the philosophy of, so more philosophies, uh, what uh, Morehouse would, would call their philosophy. So I, I see more philosophy being pretty in line with what the poly community thinks and feels and I also think that the more philosophy adds to the dialogue, adds to the discussion of the poly community and kind of offers ways to win, ways to win with people, ways to communicate with people, um, and ha- has an example of a uh, community that has been really successful um, by its own definition. Um, so I just thought, well, maybe people might benefit or have some interest in hearing about it. I think that's definitely true. And would you mind kind of maybe backing up a little bit and telling our listeners, like, what is the more philosophy? What Mm -hmm. kind of community was this? Like, many of us might not be familiar with it. Yeah, basically nobody's familiar with it because (laughs) they don't advertise. That's one thing. They don't advertise. They just don't because, well, advertising pretty much is about telling you you're missing something, right? You make mm-hmm. someone insecure, and then you say, I got a solution for it. <laughs> Where Morehouse is definitely not a fix-it organization. Uh, they think your life is already pretty great. You made it that way. You must. It must be perfect for you because you made it that way. Um, basically, their point of view is you're totally responsible for your life. And, um, yeah, and so it was the philosophy um, is primarily uh, put together by Victor Bronco and his widowed wife, uh, Cindy Bronco. And uh, Vic and his first wife, Susie, along with some friends, were the founders of uh, Morehouse. Um, And they did it as essentially a social experiment on how can we pleasurably live in a group? How can we get together and align our goals and not do a single honest day's work for the rest of our lives. (laughs) (laughs) So how large is the community or how large was it when you were growing up? I mean, it ebbs and flows. So we have, uh, so, uh, 
Lafayette Morehouse is where I grew up, but then there's sort of satellites. And I would say through most of my life, it was about 50 people on the property, like 28 acres, um, several houses. Um, yeah, so about, about 50 there. And then there's a house and there's some other houses that have more people. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's another 50. I don't know. And, and it, it grows and shrinks. And, you know, when I was young, I grew up with probably like 12, 15 other kids. And then we all moved out. So there you go. Mass exodus. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, so it, it changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Were you going to uh, like a public school at the time where you knew that you were different from other kids? or did you Yeah, I went to public school the did. whole time. Yeah, my parents were much more interested in their own lives <laughs> than homeschooling a bunch of children. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, uh, we all went to public school. We didn't even necessarily go to the same public schools, um, depending on, you know, which one we wanted to go to if we had a choice. Um, yeah, so that's interesting, and I think it shapes a, some of the way I am is uh, I went to public school. I know what they think of my community. At least some people think that it's, you know, cult or mm-hmm. sex cult, even better. <laughs> um, and and that we're the weirdos uh, for defining the way we want to live and ha- going for a pleasurable life. Um, so I've never been ashamed of growing up there, but I also never cared to share because I really don't care about anybody's opinion of it um (laughs) so um so so yeah I knew and I also it was nice at least there was several other kids I grew up with that helped uh ingrain in me that like we have nothing to be ashamed of and if someone messes with you you know at least I got a crew (laughs) (laughs) I have a crew so it's not just lone soldier over here (laughs) Yeah. yeah that was helpful uh so what would you say that the community where you grew up would have to, like, teach poly people or poly people who would like to build a kind of a intentional community? Yeah, for sure. So um, they teach courses, so you can go and take the courses. They have one specifically on group living, though I don't actually know the names of which ones, so you'd have to look at their website. Um, but I think that because communication is so essential to the poly community and also sensuality and all this stuff uh, that that's really where they they add and I guess I would say I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of things I could I could get into but uh, maybe a good example that I that I sometimes think of that like maybe when I listen to the podcast and they're giving advice or I'm reading these books they don't I don't hear it and Let's say you want something, right? You want your partner to do something or do something differently. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, how, or you want to approach a really difficult topic that maybe it would hurt their feelings. Um, the first, the first thing is to to give them a win, to acknowledge something right about them or something right about what they're doing. Then you're coming from a space of they feel validated. They know that you've got them in mind and their best interests. Then you can ask for the thing you want, and hopefully they'll be much more receptive um, to this this request or delivering some like some difficult piece of information. And then once they've done it, you thank them, mm-hmm. you acknowledge them. So that uh, Morehouse would call that the training cycle, mm-hmm. and they would so it starts with an acknowledgement and it ends with an acknowledgement, mm-hmm. and they would say actually in a relationship you should just be lay, layering on the acknowledgement all the time, right. anytime any someone does something right by you just acknowledge it, mm-hmm. if you know if someone does something caring or loving or something you like something you appreciate, just always acknowledge it. You're gonna that's gonna always work better. So that's one thing um, that I think is... Uh, to being really conscientious about acknowledging people. Acknowledging people, and specifically the training cycle. Like, if you're like, you know, maybe someone, your your husband or your boyfriend or someone does something that really is irking you, you've got to take two steps back, find them right, figure out how to communicate to them that you think they're right, right? So now you've gotten in this headspace that you actually like this person, you're not actually that pissed at... You, it takes the anger down, maybe. Mm-hmm. Then you deliver the thing, and then when they hopefully make any steps towards it, even if they don't even get it right, if they take a, 
effort at it. Then you say, oh, I really appreciate that you made an effort to, to do what I wanted. I, I think that's really nice of you. And I don't, I, I actually like it this other way. Mm-hmm. So just mm-hmm. um, the training cycle is the, the whole thing, the acknowledgement, the ask, the acknowledgement. And you can keep doing it till they get it right. <laughs> That's why they call it training, right? Right, yeah. And so the um, the communal living space makes their money off of the courses in like this kind of like in communication and, yeah. and how to do what they do yeah yeah they have a so whole that's their job or that's how they're they got in income let's say yeah. quote job yeah i mean i mean neither of my parents have worked a single day of their life let's be honest yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow that sounds nice i mean yeah <laughs> yeah honestly. actually i think my dad had a job for like maybe a year yeah no he did he had did an engineer Oh yeah. Oh, cool. oh yeah. They both live there. Um, I just talked to my dad. Actually, he said he um, has lived there for forty-seven years. Forty-seven of the wow. fifty. And wow. my mom's right about right about the same. And another woman who I consider pretty much the closest thing to a second mom. She, uh, I just saw her uh, the other week because I was out there. Uh, we actually took a course together. I still take courses. Nice. Periodically, uh, she's about to have her personal fiftieth. Which means that she moved in like six months after it was created, so yeah, a lot of a lot of the community has been there the whole time, even though a lot of people have left. And and that's another cool thing too is like a lot of people will leave, and then when they're visiting California, they'll drop by. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool, yeah. And I, um, I guess, I guess I kind of wanted to mention that like they have they have a lot of courses, but the Basic ones that I think are ones that people in the poly community or anybody would benefit from would be uh, basic sensuality and man-woman. And um, I guess I'll, I'll get Can it. you describe? Just, I'll describe them. So basic sensuality, or as they call it, basic sense, is mm-hmm. is about how to have a good sensual life, but because you're sensual life doesn't exist in a vacuum it's actually about getting along with people <laughs> and <laughs> it's about how to be gratified and how to ask for what you want and how to relate with people and understanding um understanding like uh whether you're a cause or effect and how to win at either of those sort of roles um and uh, it talks about social constructs and how to, you know, sort of play the game within that social construct. And so it's kind of like, it's kind of like everything mm-hmm. that, uh, so they would say that basic sense is kind of the whole thing, the whole package for the more philosophy. Then you take other ones if you want to dive more into certain things. So how long would a class like that like a weekend. Like a weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's so there's a lot of weekend courses. There's some one day courses, and then there might be like several weeks, or like a like a summer camp might be like a week or two, and you come stay there. Yeah, yeah. And then um, the other class you said you wanted to talk about was man woman. Man woman. That's a weekend course too. So that's kind of nice, like bite size. Although they do feel super intense. So maybe like. Can you talk a little bit about what the content of a class like that is? Yeah, so that one's about, again, uh, gender roles, like gender as a social construct. And instead of being a victim of that social construct, understand the rules of the game and be able to relate um, across those gender lines, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And essentially, again, it's about getting along with people. (laughs) So That's really cool. Yeah. So and now tell every guy that you ever want, or woman you ever want to date, <laughs> go get the basics. <laughs> anyway. Has your husband done some of these courses with you? Yeah. So when we first started dating, uh, like, we, we dated a little while, and then we started taking them. So we've taken a few periodically. Mm-hmm. Not like the whole, not the whole slew of things, but yeah, a couple of them. So it sounds like you're definitely still closely connected to the community. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I moved out um, in college. Actually, they asked for my room when I was a sophomore in college. Uh, (laughs) I was like, what? You want my room? (laughs) Fine. (laughs) Dang it. Um, 
So anyway, it was a sophomore in college. So that was essentially when I moved out. Mm -hmm. I stopped coming back for the summers. I started having like internships and jobs and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I go back and, I, and they, they gave me a guest room. <laughs> yeah. And it's nice whenever you visit, you get like a, you get a welcome sign. Aww. And whenever anybody goes away and then they come home, it says, welcome home, so-and-so. Mm -hmm. Something. Cute. Yeah, it's kind of cute. So I guess um, it might be interesting to hear a little bit more about how the community works. I know that's obviously how like, it works. Probably more. You said there were maybe a couple of houses. But... Can you kind of maybe even like start out with physically? Like, oh, physically? 28 acres. Well, let's start it physically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. So yeah, 28 acres, several houses, pool tennis court mm -hmm. so oh so it's actually there's weird like cohabitation laws back in like the 70s so it became a university oh. became a university that granted PhDs and had a boxing team so my <laughs> parents were on this boxing team and they're they're boxing like Cal but they're like not nearly as fit as these like, <laughs> undergrad Cal boxers. Anyway, so there's a boxing ring, although right now it's not in great shape, but there's always been a boxing ring, and that's always been a part of the what we do. Like, I have pictures of me boxing my dad when I'm, like, four. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So you had a room. Um, okay, yes. So I had a room. Um, yeah, everybody has their own room. Sometimes couples share a room. Sometimes couples will share a room, but then, like, the, they actually have two rooms. So they share the room, but actually, oh... So and so, she has her own room also, and then everybody shares um, like the kitchen and the bathrooms, um, the outside space. There's like living room. There's like um, you know, living room in every house. I don't know. It's just like a normal house, but like with way too many people in it. <laughs> <laughs> and like a really huge, probably like five or six bedroom house, or I mean, probably more, right? Yeah, so, I mean, number of bedrooms is pretty flexible because you can build walls and break walls down. <laughs> but, point. yeah, so over time, like, when it was more full, people would have really small rooms. And then, you know, now people are actually expanding their rooms and they have, like, breaking down walls. They got three rooms and it's, like, huge. But, yeah, so the houses, I don't know how... Yeah. <laughs> Flexible space is what yeah. I was hearing in there. <laughs> How many bedrooms? I don't know. Ten in each house, depending. But some are bigger, some are smaller. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's there's some cabins on the property. It's kind of cool. There's a tea house, Japanese tea house. One guy was like, I want to build, he's really into Japanese culture, I want to build a Japanese tea house. So he built a Japanese tea house. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and there's... Um, one guy actually recently built a tree house, which is kind of cool, kind of crazy. You're like, am I about to fall out of this tree <laughs> when you're in this tree house? But anyway, okay, so that's physically what it is. It's just like a handful of houses with pretty normal setup, honestly. Um, and then I guess in terms of like one thing that I think they probably would say kept them together is that everybody agrees that it's perfect the way it is just on some level. Right. So if you're going to change it, everybody's got to agree. Mm -hmm. So even if you're a five-year-old, if you're like, I don't freaking want that, if they have that much of an opinion, right. their opinion matters. Every single person has to agree before something changes. Um, yeah. So I guess that's a, that's a thing that you, you know, might want to think about if you're doing group living, because if you start steamrolling people, that's when they're going to bail. Right. Sure. So how do things like responsibilities for childcare or, or, you know, things like that work? Yeah, it's sort of a funny thing. It's like, whoever cares the most is going to get it done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, so when I was a kid, right, where there was like f some number, 15 of us, I don't really know, uh, there was a, a nursery. There was a kid's house. Mm -hmm. So all the kids lived in the kid's house, and then there was a few adults in the kid's house. So it was kind of nuts all the time. And could you, oh, my God. By the time I was a teenager and I was surrounded by, like, ten other teenage boys, just the place was, a desert, like, a mess all the time. And it felt like I was in a frat house for, <laughs> for that time. I mean, there's other women in yeah. the house, too, but just that, that, there was a lot of that energy. So, anyway, the kids lived together. There's a few 
adults in that house. My mom pretty much always lived in the kids' house for as long as I can remember. So that was nice <clears throat> that she lived there. Yeah. My parents, actually, it's funny. Uh, they've been divorced. They've been... I don't even remember them together. I know they were together, obviously. I mean, not obviously, but they were together. Uh, but I don't have any recollection of it. And then even after they got divorced, they still both lived there. And, yeah, and I've always gotten along with my stepmom. And they actually both moved... So we've got a house in Hawaii. My dad moved out when I was pretty young, actually 10. He moved to Hawaii, the Hawaii Moore house. And then when I went away to college, my mom moved out there. So now they live in a smaller house together and they're divorced. Whoa. But they, it doesn't matter. They're just like friends. They're just like friendly. My, I think my dad said like, it's kind of crazy that we were married, but you know, we're still friendly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. We're not the same. Well, I think that definitely is something that speaks to the Pali community. Like, it's not a very large community in any given city, probably, but certainly in a city like Milwaukee, like, you've got to learn how to be able to get along with people, even if the nature of the relationship changes. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> The Toolshed is a mission-driven, education-based sex toy store located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. More than your typical adult store, the Toolshed provides quality, body-safe products that enhance the sexual lives and relationships of their customers, and they do it all in a comfortable, compassionate, and welcoming atmosphere. Not located near Milwaukee? That's okay. The Toolshed's online shop at www.toolshedtoys.com serves customers all over the world. The Toolshed strives to be the source for accurate, up-to-date information about sexual health and pleasure. Their store is staffed by sexual educators who are invested in providing sex-positive and inclusive support to their customers throughout their lifespan, no matter where they're from. The Toolshed stocks a large selection of products made from body-safe materials. They have sex toys for folks of all genders, orientations, and inclinations, including gear for strap-on play, vibrators to stimulate a variety of body parts, BDSM gear, kink supplies, and much more. The Toolshed is also proud to offer a large inventory of gender expression supplies like binders, soft packers, shaping underwear, and breast forms. Last but not least, the Toolshed stocks lots of great books on topics like ethical non-monogamy, how to negotiate consent, kinky play, sexual pleasure, sexual health, and so much more. They've got over 500 different titles in stock at their Milwaukee location and host a regular monthly book club too. Every day, the Toolshed staff answers questions about products, pleasure, health, and relationships, all without shame or stigma. The Toolshed also offers in-person and online private consultations for people who have in-depth questions about any of those things, as well as other subjects like communication and relationships, establishing healthy boundaries, fertility basics, alternative menstrual products, and other topics folks deal with every day as sexual beings. You can visit the Toolshed in person at 2427 North Murray Avenue in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, or you can check out our online store at www.toolshedtoys.com. From now through the end of 2019, you can use promo code POLY2019, P-O-L-Y-2019, at checkout for 10% off your next purchase. Thanks. And so you have said uh, previously that, like, you wouldn't call this a poly commune, but that a lot of the ideals are the same. How does that, how does poly relate to, a, like, an intentional community like this? Yeah, so I think what they would say is they're not going to uh, prescribe any one relationship format. Mm -hmm. You could be asexual, and that's perfectly awesome and fine. You could be aromantic, doesn't matter. Your relationship with people is perfectly how you define it and, you know, for you. Um, the way it's poly, the way I see the overlap, is that a lot of people have many loves. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. maybe they have a primary or an anchor partner, or maybe they have a husband or a wife, and then they have people that they have dates with, or maybe they have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, or maybe, you know, so it's, it's I think really what I think is the same is it's, Define your relationships how you want to define them, um, uh, pretty much. Not be constricted by this definition of, you know, one man, one woman, one house, some kids and a dog and a fence. <laughs> right. It's like, make your life and your relationships the way you want them. And that is right. And whatever you choose to do is right for you. Mm-hmm. That's where I think the overlap is. 
Yeah. I don't I mean some people might say they're they practice polyfidelity or maybe they say they're a swinger or maybe they I don't know what they say. I don't even know if they care to say. Mm -hmm. But uh but I see the overlap with poly in that you define your relationship how you want. Mm-hmm. And uh you mentioned before that it was kind of hard to get into, which is like the opposite of a right. cult, is that it's it's, it's hard, hard to, to get, get into. into. Yeah, so the difference between Morehouse and a cult is cults are easy to get get into and hard to get out. But Morehouse is hard to get into and easy to get out. And so hard to get into basically means, okay, you take a bunch of courses and then, or you, you don't have to take a bunch, but you probably should. And then you can do an evaluacy where basically both parties evaluate each other. So the whole community has to agree, do I want to live with this person? And if you're not someone they want to live with, you cannot move in. That's why it's hard. So you got to be a pleasant enough <laughs> person <laughs> to have like maybe 50 people want to agree I'll to live with yes, you. Yeah. I'll say yes, absolutely. Move them in. Wow. That sounds like a good time to me. So that's why it's hard to get into. And then it's easy to get out, get out of because you just leave. <laughs> right. Peace. I'm done. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just like any relationship. It's like when you're done, you just, I'm done. You know. Are the people that generally are moving in like partners of people who live there? Is that kind of how people... So, I mean, the growth, like, moving was, was, like, really before I remember. Um, so now it's, like, people moving in a trickle, sure. in a really mm -hmm. small trickle. And they are not partners. They're people who've taken courses yeah. and say, oh, this looks, like, fun to me. And then they move in. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, they are already coupled, like, outside but not always sometimes people move in single couple up and then leave <laughs> that's happened a bunch of times i mean everything's happened so but um yeah no you pretty much people get introduced well they do this thing called mark groups where it's just a social situation where you play communication games for a night just for like an evening like instead of go see a movie go to a mark group and they kind of do these mark groups all over the place and then <clears throat> Then maybe you take some courses, and you take some courses, you go, oh, this looks like something I could live with, and then you take an evaluacy is really the step to figure out if you want to move in. So when you say a trickle, like, when you were growing up, how many people moved in in a year, would you say? I'm just trying to get, I'm trying oh. to picture this, like. I mean, since I can remember, it's only been like, 10 in 20 years uh, okay uh -huh. there's not like a yeah. ton of people moving in yeah. i don't know there's like three people moved in some number of years ago i can't even yeah. I don't know. i'm just trying to picture it that's yeah cool. it's been with people staying there for 50 years yes makes sense that like and maybe the the like incoming and outgoing is kind of constant that, that it's similar that like three people come in and maybe three people leave or something or yeah. Leave. yeah i mean it ebbs and flows but yeah. it's not huge and fast yeah Oh, they have another philosophy point that maybe has, I don't know if it has to do with why they stay together, but is um, you kind of have to live to your own moral code to feel deserving of good things in your life. So even though they don't necessarily work, uh, they do run a charity for like um, where we get food that would have otherwise been thrown away by, say, maybe a local grocery store get it, box it up, hand it out to poor neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And essentially, you, we do this because it's fun for us. It's fun to get involved with the community. It's fun to feel like we're helping. But it's also a way to have us feel like deserving of good things in our life. It's like being forward about, like, I deserve, I want good things in my life. How do I feel deserving? By being a person I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a one one philosophy point they have. And it doesn't have to be something like that. It could be like living by my morals means, you know, cleaning up the living room every time I see it messy and not getting upset that someone else left something there. Or maybe your morals say you pick up trash on the sidewalk. Or maybe it says you help people at the grocery store. I don't know, whatever it is. It's like you have to live by that to feel deserving of good things. So they kind of try to put that forward. Like do it, do it up front. Right. Do it up front. Yeah. Um, do, I guess this is more of a, just kind of a technical question, but like, do, does everybody there pay rent? 
Oh, how that works. it's an interesting thing. So it's not rent. It's technically they're in a, a lifelong course or like a course the whole time they're in like there. Like they're at a university. Like they're at a university and actually living there is a course. And so everybody pays a different amount um, based on like what, what they have or what the deal is, what deal they've made with the community. I don't know. I'm, I don't get into that too much because I was a kid. I didn't have to worry you about it. To, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, the, you were stuck in this course whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not paying for it. Um, it's called MSDs, but I can't even tell you what that stands for. Yeah. See, you can tell I'm not a normal spokesperson for the community because <laughs> sure. I don't bother to know things right. that don't affect me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and actually, two people I grew up still still live there. They're the only, yeah, I think they're the only kids that stayed. Um, yeah, but they now teach courses, and they're my favorite people to take courses from, actually, because I relate with them the best. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, it must be very different to have been, like, kind of born. You, you weren't born there, were you? Yeah, I was. Oh, you were born there. Wow, yeah, so, like, have been born there, there your entire childhood, or to choose it as a 35-year-old, you know, like, yeah. that's... That's going to be very different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're clearly going to be paying attention to different things as an adult, evaluating something like that versus a kid just living your normal kid life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, is there anything else that you think, um, you know, some of the philosophies of this community would bring to your poly life or other people's you know, sort of poly in general? I was also going to ask, like, do you think it's possible... To do something like this in the Midwest, as opposed to California, which I think is a little bit easier. I don't know why, but it just seems like a better uh, climate. It <laughs> might be. It, it might be. Yeah, it <laughs> might be a better climate, but also because they don't advertise, they're not really like asking people how they feel about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you, change it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so it, in some ways, it kind of matter. Doesn't matter too much. I will say, I mean, like, there's been a house in Atlanta, there's been a house in Yonkers, there's been a house in Hawaii, there's been, you know, so there's, seems like it, it can exist many places. Interesting. Yeah, I would think if it can exist in Atlanta, it can probably exist in the Midwest. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, the Midwest has space, so you can buy the space. I think that's kind of, that kind of helps. Yeah. So I know growing up in a house with a ton of people... You know, it's fun. Your friends are always around. There's always something to do. There's always mm-hmm. some action. There's always some action all the time. Um, but if it was nice to have the 28 acres to, like, just, I could just, like, go away from everybody and nobody could see me. Nobody could <laughs> talk to me. And we live on a nice hill. It's really pretty looking over this, like, valley. And, you know, I can just look at the valley and, like, let my mind wander, think about whatever I want, play with the grass. And just have some quiet, alone space. It was also nice having my own room. I've had my own room for most of my life. I think I stopped sharing a room when I was like 10-ish. 10. Maybe I had a sharing room up till 10. So I think um, So I think in the Midwest, that's an advantage you have is like space. Yeah. yeah I think that, that might be a good element to keep <laughs> if you're trying to live with a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> Keep yeah. the, 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 the space. I think you would have to. I feel like there would probably be a higher number of people leaving if there was no privacy or oh, able for to sure. you know, like have some level of privacy. Yeah. I mean, definitely privacy in your own room, but also just like space and quiet yeah. and like exactly. nobody around. Like, don't talk to me. Don't, you can't even find me. You're not even going <laughs> to find me. Yeah. Start looking for me. I'm not going to answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember wanting that desperately as a older kid and young teenager too. And you know, I did not live with fifty other people. <laughs> <laughs> right? Everybody right. needs a little space. Exactly. Gonna Actually, go hop on my bike and see how far I can get. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I went to uh, university, I was I moved into a city and I moved into a dorm, and there's still tons of crap happening all the time. The difference was I could not find a still space. Mm. I was like, there's no living room. I share my room with somebody. I mean, the dorms didn't have, like, living rooms. They were, like, so nasty. And I'm in a city, so I go out in the city, and there's, like, cars. And I just remember just feeling like, okay, now this is a lot of motion. You know, mm-hmm. like, I thought that was a lot of motion. This is even more. But I... 
I also was wondering if um, if you would say that the community is like anti-drama or if there is drama that happens like I would, I would think it would have to it would be inevitable with like a small smallish community yeah. all living so close together you know like in the city of Milwaukee which is the polygroups over 300 people it still feels very small and drama still disrupts yeah. people you know like how is that dealt with? Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. So the way they deal with drama, you are totally responsible for your life. So don't get all pissed <laughs> at people because that's not going to serve you. Yeah. Um, basically, well, one philosophy point is that anger actually does not serve you ever. So get don't act out of anger. Get out of anger as fast as you can. Uh, um, that's one thing. And so say there's other tools. So say there's charge. Say you're really upset someone your feelings there's um you can have um you can do withholds so you can hire um a withhold monitor which is another person in the community who is sworn to secrecy so it's kind of like writing in your journal um hopefully (laughs) (laughs) it's like a really 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 bad offense to share someone's withhold but um like you won't be able to be a withhold monitor anymore but anyway so someone's sworn to secrecy and you sit across from each other and you say, basically, when this happened, it made me feel this way. And they say, thank you. And you can say that as many times as you want. You can say it different ways. You can say a hundred things. You can say two things for like a half hour. And the monitor only says thank you. Yeah. Is it, or is cool. there something you'd like to tell me? Or they have some script. Yeah, sure. Basically, they ask and then they thank. Um, and that's the whole thing. So that's one way to like deal with your stuff. Um, I think everybody's really forward and it's good to be forward about things you like and, or dislike, but also things you like, mm-hmm. like expressing the gratitude and the, the, yeah, expressing the gratitude up front and then makes it easier when you want someone to like change to, to hear you. So they're, they don't let stuff fester. It's like, just say it, you know, just be open and honest and communicate and just say it. So I think that's something I've always carried with me that I've always been very forward because that's how we related. Um, yeah. So it's basically own your shit. Yeah. Like exactly how Polly says, like just Mm -hmm. own it. Like I've always felt like that. That, I mean, I had those words before I heard the Polly say is like, own it, whatever it is, just own it. And then, um, communicate, communicate as nicely as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. just do it as nicely as possible. That's how you're going to get the best results. Um, and then the withholds to kind of take the charge down. Interesting. Because, you know, when you're really super emotional about something, then you're maybe not going to be able to communicate as nicely. Um, and, you know, you don't have to be a victim of your emotions, but it is something you experience. Um, so that's a way to deal with it. Yeah, so finding an appropriate or safe way to kind of vent it. Yeah, and not to your friends right, about right. this other friend, right, right. like uh, uh, where nobody's gonna know. It's right. just it's just about expressing it, not about trash talking or anything like right. that. Yeah, yeah. Right. But yeah. then it's not stuck in your head. It's not stuck in your so head. So it's not getting in the way of your communication. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a really good idea. And it's so often I find that when people come to me to be that person, which I, I you know. It's so hard to be an unbiased listener when you're, like, in everyone's, like, shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, but um, I immediately go to advice mode, and I don't do the thing, which I should do, is just, thank you, listen, you know, like, just listen, and thank you. Thank you. Because um, that sounds really great. Yeah. <laughs> I go into, how do we solve this? What's the resolution? Oh, that's mm-hmm. so me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, and I've <laughs> taken some other courses um, through a company called Landmark Education that mm-hmm. has a very similar kind of exercise of, mm-hmm. like, you know, you, like, you just listening, and the act of just listening and acknowledging and letting the person just continue to say whatever it is they're going to say um it can make a huge difference and there's no like like practicing listening without any judgment without any like reaction like you're not you're not agreeing you're not disagreeing you're just listening yeah Mm -hmm. and it's really difficult i mean yeah i heard somebody uh talk to me about 
somebody was just mentioning, I think they were talking about a class that they had taken, where when listening to a group of people talk, you shouldn't, like, nod while you're while they're talking because then they're going to see that as, like, a form of acknowledgement. And if you don't do that with another person that's talking in the group, they will see it as, like, a rejection of their, you know? And I was like, oh, my God, I don't, I can't possibly think about every single thing I do when I'm in the group, you know? And yeah. So it made me, for a little while, made me a little self-conscious, but I was like, well, I'm not, this isn't my job. It's not your <laughs> like job. I, it's okay. Like, I'm not a therapist, you know, it's fine. Yeah. But it, really small little things like that can kind of, can actually make a person talk less or more or can change the person's perspective on you as a facilitator or you as yeah. a, someone who's helping them out. It's very interesting. Yeah, I think Morehouse would call that window dressing. So if you start, like, nodding or you tilt your head or you, like have your expressions don't quite match what you're saying that's like window dressing and they have you like okay don't do that yeah, <laughs> it yeah. doesn't serve you right, right. it doesn't and serve i you. always feel like i want to validate the person i'm listening to yeah, yeah, and right. it's that sometimes is useful but it isn't universally useful yeah. and so learning to have conversations where you're not doing that is I mean, it's a useful skill yeah it's gonna take a lot of practice though <laughs> yeah. i can't even imagine I'd say Morehouse teaches a lot of useful skills. Yeah, that's really cool. And do you feel like you'll be going back there the rest of your life? Kind of? Yeah, I mean, even even just to see my parents, I'm going to go back right, there. Right, yeah, of course. But, but yes, um, so I go back to see my parents, but I'm definitely connected with people in the community, and it's not, you know, every, it's, it's a unique relationship with each of them. So some people I make sure I always see, and sometimes I bring them a gift, or I always make sure I have dinner with them, or something like mm-hmm. that. And then other people I just say hi to and give them a hug or something. So, yeah, I really like going back. And then the the two I grew up with, um, I feel like I'm actually getting closer with them. So um, did some traveling with one of them recently, and then whenever I go back, I stay in their house. So my dad lives in the same house as them. So I'll stay in a guest room in that house. Nice. And they have a little kid, and he's... So I get to play with the little kid and stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> so second generation of... Uh, That'll be third. Or third generation. Oh, because they both of these people who grew up there are now partnered? Oh, yeah, they are actually. Oh, that's yeah, so yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be like a third generation of... Yeah, third generation. Really cool. Yeah. And actually, so... Maybe they have a lot of generations because... <laughs> <laughs> um, as... My friends, so my friend's mom moved in, and she was young. Let's call her A. Let's call her A. Just because it's the first letter of the alphabet. Okay, so my friend A, who's basically my age, like a little bit younger, her mom moved in when she was young, had her. Then now she's married and has a kid. But also, her grandmother moved in when her grandma got older. So it was like move the grandma in. So like actually they had a lot of generations, and the wow. and the grandpa still comes and visits. So when I'm there <laughs> hanging out with them, it'll be grand grandpa, mom, then my friend and her kid. So that's four generations right there in that yeah. house. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, but he lives somewhere else. I don't know where he lives. <laughs> that's really neat. Well, and that makes sense that like. Kind of bringing back the family structure that I think predated nuclear family. Like, people did all live together so often. Big families from grandparents down to grandchildren uh, all lived under one roof. And then I feel like, what, like 1940s and 50s maybe is when it kind of changed to being like, no, you should live on your own with your husband and wife or whatever. And then... Have your yeah. kids. 2.5 kids and a dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even better, how about you just move all your friends in? Right. <laughs> That's what they did. Well, and it also seems like, I mean, when you're talking about the grandma moving in, like, what a great way to be able to be cared for when your health maybe starts to go or you can't, like, totally take care of yourself. You know, if you're rooted in a community like this, yeah. like, you've paid it forward yeah. all this time mm-hmm. and now presumably you're going to be you know helped in the way that you need help yeah absolutely and it helps too so when people have kids the community can share the responsibility and when people get older they can share the responsibility so other people have moved their parents in and then a lot of times what I see is they have 
different people they regularly have dinner with. Like, you're not going to ask a 70-year-old to make, maybe not 70, 80-year-old to make dinner. So you just, like, invite them to dinner. So every Monday they have dinner with this family, and then the next day they have dinner with this family. So it's, like, mm-hmm. a way to take care of them without having it be that. You have to 100% right. take responsibility for your aging parent. Right. Sure. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I shouldn't say an age because, I mean, they're all getting older and they're all still quite physically able to do stuff. Sure. Um, So, but, you know, when you get 80, At some point, people maybe are not able to do that. Yeah. And that, much like the numbers we were talking about in the last episode, where there's not a polysaturation number, (laughs) there's also not an old age number. (laughs) Like, wherever you are in that, in your capacity, in your you know, physical and mental capacity. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I don't know if I have any more questions about... I mean, do you have anything that you uh, that you grew up with that's so vastly different that you wanted to, like, uh, mention? Or, or just mentality-wise? I guess the mentality that's different um, is that it's good to, to live your life for pleasure it's a good thing and um i guess they would say uh fun is the goal and love is the way is, is a is a fun slogan for them so kind of keeping that with me is a is a good thing to a mantra or good yeah. mantra yeah <laughs> good perspective awesome is there anything else that you wanted to add to the podcast no i think i've said quite a lot <laughs> all right well i think this was really um awesome and informative and I think a lot of people are really going to find this interesting so thank you so much for coming you're welcome thank you thank you all right so that is it from us at polyamory and censored we have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams we'd like to thank my husband Rob for helping us through our many sound issues and thank myself for editing the podcast so we sound smart you can follow us on Facebook at Polyamory Uncensored, contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com, and if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. We will forever be grateful for any contribution you can manage to making this podcast better and more efficient. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye. Bye.